Hello and welcome to the Inspirational Leadership Series. Today I'm excited to have a conversation with Eric Dillon, who is the CEO of Connexus Credit Union. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Kristen. Great to be here. So Eric, tell me a little bit about your background in terms of your career journey with Connexus. Yeah, so I've been at Connexus uh, for oh, eight or nine years now. And uh, previous to that, worked at another great credit union uh, out of Alberta called Service Credit Union. So I've had a great um, experience kind of growing up and, uh, and building kind of leadership capacity in my, uh, in my credit union journey. So yeah, having a, having a ton of fun. Awesome. So Eric, we've, we've had a conversation before and I've, I've kind of let you know what I'm trying to do here with this inspirational interview series is really talk to CEOs that get it, that walk the talk around what it looks like to create an inspirational culture uh, where people can go there to do their best work. And um, so I love to just start off by understanding from your perspective, when I say inspirational leadership, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, I think it's the world of leadership has just changed so drastically, even in my, you know, 25 years in the business world. And I, and I think today, you know, I think the role of leaders is just that to inspire the group that they lead towards some, you know, uh, new tomorrow that's that's in some cases like our business, lot, lots of disruption and change that might be drastically different from uh, from the today that we all live in. And I think, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, leaders used to be a bit of command and control. And I'll tell you what needs to be done and how it needs to be done and by when. And today, I think it's around just creating the collision of great ideas and empowering people to do uh, to do great work all in our world as a purpose driven organization, all in the confines of, of serving our purpose. So I, I so I just think the role has changed drastically. And uh, and I and I think you're seeing um, you know, the, the great companies, uh, I think, build capacity around what leadership looks like today versus maybe what it looked like five or 10 years ago. Yeah, that's great. It's, it really has evolved. And, and when you think of how it's progressed and those behaviors, because in the past you would see a lot more of that command and control, what are some of those um, really critical behaviors that you think um, help leaders to be more effective and successful at what they do? I would go actually and start before behaviors, if that's okay. I mean, I think it's sure. about um, the best leaders that certainly I've seen in the business world really start with a deep appreciation of self. So yeah. what are their gifts? What are their gaps as human beings? I mean, we all have them. And then working from there to say, now, how can I build, you know, the, the best team to work with in terms of different backgrounds, different perspectives? Um, um, and, then, and then thinking about, so then if you've built a great team, then what's my role as the leader to then collide these great ideas and build an environment where there's kind of healthy debate, healthy tension, all within the confines of getting better business decisions through the diversity and then, and then executing on them in a way that helps kind of shepherd the organization through the change. So um, to me, you know, ironically leading bigger organizations or, or great teams actually starts in our, in our minds with a really strong appreciation of self. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I think that's so important and I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you see it that way. And, um, and that's from my experience, what I've noticed a lot, even with the, um, the CEOs that are really getting that to their core. Um, the, the pattern that I've noticed a lot is that the CEOs have done a lot of coaching and inward personal development to understand themselves really well in that way to be more effective. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's really true. And I, and I think, um, 
you know, those are the most authentic and acknowledged fully. So here are the three or four things that I've been historically good at. And here are the things that I maybe know less about. And if everybody on the team does that, it's really easy to figure out where to rely on expertise and where the team might need to go get uh, help or other perspectives for things that they, they maybe collectively don't understand or appreciate. And so it just gets to be an easier conversation versus, you know, I would say the inauthentic version of, well, I'm the CEO, therefore I, I need to know everything about everything about the business, which in today's world with the pace of change, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just impossible. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, from your experience, if you think about some of the areas or ways that leaders struggle, what have been some of the, the common patterns that you've noticed? Well, I think, you know, there's been this wave of development around trying to build, you know, the capacity for leadership. And I think what happens then is we tend to showcase or highlight exceptional leaders. And, and I see it a lot with emerging leaders when we work with people either mentoring or inside our organization is then they try to aspire to be like those leaders. And I think there's a distinct difference between uh, skill and style. And I think lots of emerging leaders try to emulate somebody else. And to my earlier point, then what, what starts to happen is they become less authentic because they're not their you know normal, usual self. So I think the best thing you can do is be really distinct about what skills do you need to lead organizations? What skills will we need to lead organizations in the years ahead? And how are you building that? But how are you building that in the context of being your most authentic self? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's this this thing around, there's this, this way that you should be a leader. And the more that you can really tap into who you are and um, tap into those strengths. But like you said, around the authenticity piece, people connect more to you when you're showing up as your true self. So the more that you can tap into that, I talk a lot about bringing your whole self to work, right? Because yep. you sometimes hear like, this is how I'm supposed to be outside of work. And this is who I am inside of work. And it's like, no, we want to see the full person. That's who we connect with human to human. I'm so I'm sure it's that. possible, Kristen, to, you know, to distinguish or separate the two worlds. And there's so much overlap in our worlds between social media and transparency. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of the the results-based economy about just getting things done, but it maybe doesn't happen to happen from eight to five. And, and I think it's a bit impossible to assume that those things can be separated. And I don't think, you know, I think that also bleeds into other conversations like work-life balance and some other things that maybe you don't want to get into today. But, but I think uh, if you're going to inspire people, people inherently want to work for human beings and, and that humans is like gifts, gaps, warts and all. I think, you know, to pretend to the people that you lead or work with that, you know, you, there's no gaps, no faults. Um, I think it's just, I think it's naive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, our, our, we're, we're all filled with imperfections and that's what makes us human. Um, so when you think about Connexus and some of the things that you do to support your leaders and for leadership development, um, tell me about that. What does it look like at, at your organization? Well, I think firstly is we, you know, we took a step back and said for us, our strategy is materially different than other, uh, you know, than the big banks that we compete with or, or tech companies or whoever. And so I think we came to the realization that we're going to have to build our own talent pipeline. So that was the first aha. The second thing was that, you know, I think most organizations pursue leadership or, or development through, you know, classroom. They send people to conferences and those things. And I think there's a role for that. But we got really clear on you know, what we called our 70-20-10 model uh, is that uh, is that 70% of development work should be done experientially in our in our credit union. And so that's taking people out of roles that they were really comfortable in 
and letting them learn and go apply what they knew from their previous role in another part of the business. And I think what happens is then they start to see, you know, inherently the challenges, the opportunities that others in, in our credit unit are experiencing. But at the same time, they bring the things that they know, maybe if you're a finance person working in HR, then you can appreciate that those worlds maybe in other organizations don't collide as much. And I would say uh, then barriers and silos get built in the organization, which in our world, you know, for a small organization of a thousand employees, uh, just are barriers to success. So we believe that inherently 70% of development should be done experientially, and it allows people to really put their hands on the handlebars, so to speak. And, um, and I've seen lots of um, great work done around case study learning and those things. But I think my view is that if, if you don't, uh, if you're not making decisions that have real human impact and real financial impact and real consequence, you'd actually make them differently. And you think through options, alternatives, whether that's the right decision or wrong decision, you think through it differently if there's not real impacts. That's not to say we take people and kind of put them into roles they're not ready for and we, you know, watch them you know, go off a cliff, so to speak, and cause harm to the organization and to themselves. But we do let them fall down and skin their knee because we believe that's an important part of the learning uh, journey. And then taking what they learned from whatever, you know, that didn't work exactly perfectly and applying it to the way they make decisions in the future. So we spend a lot of time trying to put people in opportunities where they can try something new, but with full accountability for people and, and uh, financial resources. And then 20% of our time, to, to our point earlier about how to actually build teams and lead organizations, we spend with, with leaders uh, teaching them about themselves and helping them learn about themselves. And then only 10% for us is like classroom conferences where, you know, we're exposing them to, you know, maybe classroom learning and those kinds of things. Because, you know, again, we believe that in, we talk in layers of lead self lead others, then yeah. lead the enterprise. And so you can't lead others or lead the enterprise if you don't have a really strong sense of self. So we've, you know, scaled down the emphasis we have on that classroom learning and scaled up the emphasis we have on learning about self and then just leading big, meaningful work inside the organization and then having somebody coach them through that at every step of the way as part of their journey. Yeah, and I think that's so critical because you hear so much around, you know, organizations wanting to create a space for innovation and more creativity, yet there's really no space for failure, no space for some trial and error. Um, so, and, and again, doing it in such a way that, you know, being aware of risks and what that looks like. Um, the other thing, Eric, I, I love that you had shared with me the last time we were speaking is around some of the disruptive ways that you help to get them outside of your organization and really learn through going to some conferences that are completely different from your space. Tell me a little bit more around that because I, I was very intrigued. Yeah, so I mean, I think we operate in a highly risk managed, highly regulated industry called banking. And it's pretty easy if you've been in our business for 20 years, like I have, to have a pretty kind of myopic view of the organization that this is the way it's been done and this is the way it always has to be done and here's all the really important risk management compliance rules why banking's done the way it's done but at the same time you know I, I think there's ways to disrupt yourself but only if you get outside of the thinking of banking so we've spent a lot of time thinking about in our world we compete certainly on um, you know kind of a member intimacy strategy. So having a great experience is really important to us. And we have lots of work to do at Connexus. But at the same time, you know, we've led the industry for almost 15 years in terms of uh, customer satisfaction and the experience our members enjoy. But, but there's also great experiences outside of banking. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just having a conversation just the other day as a leadership team about trying to create, you know, everybody talks about what's a five-star experience. Well, we have one of our team members who actually started an, ex- an executive, started had no banking experience. And she's done a great job of moving our thinking to describe what's an 11-star experience in a five-star world. And we've looked at analogies um, from Airbnb and there's some other great resources about how they thought through the design of that work that I would say would not be kind of native to banking. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, one one example. Then the other thing that we've typically done is we're trying to really promote this idea of curiosity inside the organization. So there are times where we've taken the entire leadership team and gone to a logistic business. There's a, you know, a big hub here in our community called a global transportation hub, and it moves lots of uh, products over ground in the backs of trucks. And we went and looked at it. It's a very diverse business. I think when we were there, there's like 38 distinct ethnic cultures, um, nationalities represented in their workforce. So we learned a lot about diversity. Well, who would have thought we would have learned a lot about diversity from a trucking business? Yeah. We had a young startup come in that started in our community. They're now very big in Toronto. They're very successful and talked about what is it like to to grow a startup. And we had the startup come and present to our board and to open our board's mind and our management team's mind to the idea that in banking, while we think we're a big credit union, we're still a small player. And could we act a bit more entrepreneurially? Well, let's learn from somebody who does that every day because it's not normally done in banking. Our banking sector is hundreds of years old in, in Canada. So those are maybe a couple of examples of how we've tried to kind of introduce just new thinking, getting yeah. back to this idea that our job is to bring really cool ideas together and then manage the constructive tension around how they, you know, maybe bump up against the, um, the norms of banking, so to speak. Yeah, and I really encourage organizations to do that. I think, um, you know, I'm even when I'm talking to different leaders and say, like, don't just go to conferences in your space, go to conferences that are completely different. And I love that, that, um, that philosophy around that coming from a place of curiosity. Um, so Eric, as a leader, I'm sure you've learned a lot about yourself and there's been some some bruises and some up and downs along the way. So what would be, you know, if you're gonna share one big lesson that you've learned as a leader that you could share with our audience, what comes up for you? Yeah, so I would say, you know, I think what people generally do is they sit back, they look in the mirror and they reflect on themselves and they say, boy, here's what I think I'm good at and here's what I'm, here's what I'm bad at. Well, if you're a statistics prof, you would say that's one observation. And yet people go and do years of development work based on their view of themselves, which, which is inherently biased. The challenge though, is as you kind of ascend through organizations, um, and today this is my first CEO role, and I work with about a thousand people, but finding ways to get meaningful feedback. So now you have maybe 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 or 100 observations about your gifts and your gaps, and then actually building a repeatable process to constantly take the feedback and then being reinventing yourself as a leader. Because I would say the CEO that I was hired uh, eight years ago at Connexus is very different than the CEO I am today. And it's also very different than the CEO that the organization will need in the next five or 10 years. And so if I'm not listening to that feedback and building a really strong, trusted um, kind of loop to get feedback, reflect what I've heard, try to improve those skills or skills or build new ones, it's going to be very difficult for leaders to keep pace with the change going on in the industry. So my advice would be, you know, while you accept the person in the mirror, 
take more observations, gather all of that, and then build a way to really listen and authentically reflect to those that gave you the feedback, what you heard and what you're going to do with it. Ah, I love that. That's great advice. So everyone who is listening, pay attention to that. Um, so Eric, as we close off, any uh, final thoughts that you would like to leave with, you know, organizations that are just trying to, sometimes it's just taking baby steps. So, um, you know, one step that they could start to take to, to really make leadership development a higher priority in their company. Yeah, I think just appreciate that it starts with leading self, as we talked about a few minutes ago. And, and I think, you know, I was reading, uh, there's a famous Harvard study, and I think it goes something like they studied 5,000 leaders at global companies, and only 50 of the 5,000 ever got to this kind of state of pure self-mastery, where yeah. they could master their own reactions and, in effect, account for all their weaknesses. Well, so that's one in, you know, 100 or one in 1,000 people that get to that level of kind of self-mastery. So for the rest of us, I think just be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself and recognize that as you grow in your leadership capacity, you're going to make, you know, mistakes. You're going to want it to have shown up differently. That one thing that always you stub your toe on, you might continue to, but just be kind to yourself and recognize that if you're going to invest and be really authentic with yourself about building skills, then just be kind and recognize that the goal is not to make no mistakes. It's to make that mistake less once next week than you made it this week. Yes, yeah, self-compassion is a big one. I experience that a lot with many clients, very hard on themselves, right? And it's more, what can you learn from this? Absolutely. Um, Eric, thank you so much for being here today and having this conversation. I know that there's tons of insight that people are going to get a lot from, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, great to connect with you. Thanks and have a great week. Thank you.